0: Welcome to the mediate.com podcast with Veronica. Kramer. Well, hey there, everyone, and welcome back to another great episode of the podcast. And today I'm excited because we are going to talk all about envisioning a culture of peace with guest Lynn Cole. And by way of background, Lynn is the founder and CEO of Bridges Academy. Which Bridges stands for Building Resolutions for Disputes Globally with E-Learning Strategies, where the global focus is on developing core intercultural competencies for conflict resolution practitioners worldwide. Lynn serves on the faculty of Bridges Academy, teaching intercultural communications and cultural dimensions. Having previously served as both a federal and state trial attorney, Lynn has been a full-time mediator and mediation trainer who is Harvard and Florida trained in mediation. She is mediation certified in Florida and is an interculturally designated and certified neutral for the International Mediation Institute in The Hague. She successfully has mediated and arbitrated many hundreds of court and pre-litigation cases in labor and employment and all types of contract and commercial cases. She is an invited member of select international organizations as an invited neutral including the American Arbitration Association, the International Chamber of Commerce, the World Intellectual Property Organization, and the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. Her notable prior roles include, she served as a USAID mediation ADR specialist for over 10 years, designing court-related mediation programs in Bulgaria, Kosovo, Jordan, and Sri Lanka, she served as the President and Chair of the Board of Directors for mediation beyond, for Mediators Beyond Borders International for over three years and still serves on the board. In May 2011, she spoke to the United Nations about mediation as an effective global conflict resolution tool within global communities. She is a recognized author on the explosive global growth of international mediation. And she has lectured and trained extensively internationally on various mediation topics. So, with that, Lynn, welcome to the Mediate.com podcast and thanks for coming on the show. Hello, Veronica.
1: It's my pleasure to be here with you.
0: Yeah, I am so excited for today's conversation to talk about intercultural communications. And, you know, we know that more and more we are just such a, a connected world, right? And so yes, I are. thought, yeah, and so I thought what would be helpful just to get things started would really be just to talk about, you know, can you tell me how is, how is culture defined? Maybe start us with the basics.
1: Sure. Um, it, it's, uh, it's very interesting. Most people think of it as arts or the clothing or the type of dancing that you might do, but it's really, really much faster and more important than that. Um, because um, it's the sum total of all learned behavior shared by generations within a society. That includes the conditioning influences of patterns, both explicit and implicit. Um, The newest uh, definition of culture, I'm reading about culture in the brain and it's fascinating, The newest definition is one that the combination of psychologists and uh, other uh, scientists describe as a neurobiological imperative that an individual's internal neuropsychological structures match key features of his or her external environment. So basically, it is something that impacts every individual and when you're communicating with people, among and between different cultures it becomes vitally important to have clear communications
0: yeah i can imagine that and you know as you were sharing that so i'm just trying to think of an example so you know one example that comes to mind from my own experience so i would say maybe it was about four oh, four-ish years ago i went to a conference in japan And it was going to be my first time going to Japan, and I learned ahead of time about the importance of the presentation of business cards. So first of all, how I needed to bring many, many business cards and how um, when I presented a business card and, and when I received a business card, that it was important to really take time to study the information that was on the card and And I needed to be sure to never put a card in my back pocket and that sort of thing. So is that that's that's like an example of what I think about when I think of culture? Are those the types of things that we're thinking about? You know, when we think about mediators and what what mediators need to be aware of in terms of um, intercultural communications?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, There are so many differences in the way we communicate, and there have been. There's an expanding body of literature on that. Um, But you did exactly the right thing in taking your time, not necessarily making eye contact, by the way, but more or less, and rather than perhaps even shaking hands, you might bow, Um, and that's very, very important to do, and it is a sign of acceptance, Um, and it is a formal way of of introducing oneself, because in Japan, like other uh, societies in, in near that area, formality is very important.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And so I'm curious, you know, I I imagine, I imagine that one part of culture is language, right? So one question I've been thinking about in preparation for today's chat is, does one need to be competent in multiple languages in order to be effective at intercultural communication? Kind of what's the, what's the relationship there?
1: Well, sure. But Uh, communication, I just want to add something and maybe expand what we normally think of communication as verbal. Okay. Because it includes language, writing, importantly, nonverbal. There is huge amount, there are huge amounts of things to learn about nonverbal communications, particularly for mediators. And then I think probably the most important thing um, of any form of communication is the ability to listen. And not just hear, but to process and listen actively. So, um, no, you need not be skilled in the actual language, is my answer. Um, and the reason why is because uh, if you're interested enough to be aware of that, then chances are you're going to be a curious person, you're going to be a non judgmental person. Um, and you're going to, to be and enjoy that kind of diversity. Let me give you an example of what I'm going to say, about to say to you in terms of what I think of as a universal language. So when I first went to Bulgaria and then uh, a, another society in Kosovo, and then a very different Arabic society in Jordan, I learned so many things. But the, here's what I tried with everybody I would meet on the street, uh, with a vendor in the butcher shop, with a, a post office person, with judges, with people I would meet, I would always kindly ask questions. So, and a lot of it was, how do you say this in your language? And they would tell me and I would listen and I would try and say it. And obviously I wasn't always accurate on that. And they would look at me and we would start smiling and they would repeat it and I would try again and we would end up almost always laughing. And that's what the universal language is. If you have curiosity, if you want to learn, you will transmit that to others with your eyes, your smile, your body language and your efforts to accommodate their language and that laughter then releases all sorts of endorphins and it's a it's a connection it is truly a connection
0: that's interesting and i had never i had never really thought about that or realized that you know curiosity and laughter is sort of being this this universal language and i mean you're right you laugh and it it does it it releases any sort of nervousness and i imagine too that curiosity what that additionally communicates is a sign of respect
1: exactly Exactly, that you are willing to go to them and say, "How may I approach you on your level?" It's sh- it's a humility, and and that and humility goes with curiosity as well. I do think
0: very interesting. So I'm curious now that you touched on a little bit, you know, work that you've done in other parts of the world and whatnot. Um, are you able to share just a few examples of of communication norms in other cultures?
1: Sure. Um, I'll give you um, just uh, I, I, I teach a whole course on this, so uh, I, I have to think about how to narrow it down and be succinct. And then I'll just give you uh, one or two short examples. So in communication, um, what is said is different in different countries versus how it is said. So for example, what is said specifically and literally is important in Germany, Sweden, and other cultures in Nordic Europe. But how it is said is much more the emphasis of importance in Asia and the Arab world. Uh, For example, um, pauses. You will find, for example, much shorter pauses in some of the European countries like Greece, Spain, and Italy, but in Japan, as you may have seen yourself, Veronica, there are longer pauses. And the same in, uh, interesting left in the in Nor- Nordic countries. Now, when I say this, I am not speaking about the individuals. Every individual is unique. Every individual in every single society and culture is unique. But I'm talking about an overview now of different kinds of uh, communication techniques we as Americans tend to be uncomfortable with silence. Um, In fact, when we teach, uh, uh, when we teach our Bridges Intercultural Certification and we have our simulation, one of the simulations is about a Japanese, it's about a Japanese society uh, clash of culture between that and uh, an NGO of Save the Porpoises. And when I played the role of the uh, Japanese person and I pause, the American who was doing the simulation is very uncomfortable. The other thing is that in different societies, a nod, meaning up and down, means a different thing. For example, I found out in Bulgaria that when you shake your head, yes, in Bulgaria, it means no, but in Japan, for example, uh, if you're having a conversation and you're a mediator and you see the uh, you see the uh, for example if you have a Japanese par- participant or a participant from Korea or Taiwan they may look at you and shake their head and you as an American or even as a German or even as an Australian may assume that that is agreement well it, uh, as to a contract provision for example it is not necessarily that it is simply an agreement that Yes, I have heard you.
0: Yeah, so I can definitely see how, I mean, this topic is just of of critical importance, right? Because first, in order to be able to to understand what's going on in a mediation, for a mediator to be able to facilitate the negotiations back and forth, and then also so that you don't inadvertently offend someone, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And it's easy to do because... For example, another difference in, um, I mentioned briefly formal versus informal with your example, but there's another general societal difference in direct versus indirect. So, for example, in a lot of the cultures that are tend to be much older cultures than, for example, ours, which is just shy of, you know, just a bit over 200 years, um, or, or say Australia or Canada, for example. We have a, a tendency in our languages as a society to be very direct. We want to say things very clearly, make it very um, uh, pointed. And that's because we value honesty, uh, generally speaking, as a cult, as cultures. But for example, in other cultures, um, they they are they are very indirect in their language. Now, these tend to be the older cultures which have, which have developed enormous amounts of nuances in their language, so they don't need to be verbally direct. They, uh, in fact, they are uncomfortable in conversations that are very direct. They value they don't disvalue honesty, they value diplomacy, because they have lived in communities in closer knit communities for a much, much longer period of time. So at least that's my view of it.
0: Yeah. So I'm curious, and I'm wondering, so for mediators, mm-hmm. you touched on a few minutes ago, you know, one way to to show respect is, is to be curious. How is a mediator... To ask parties about cultural aspects that may impact the mediation. Is that, I guess I'm just thinking off the top of my head, like a pre-mediation phone call? Is that or, or conversation? Is that how a mediator would go about it?
1: In intercultural scenarios, environments, or mediations, or any kind of pre-prevention of disputes, meetings. It is extraordinarily important to do two things. One, do your homework, which you did. Remember what you studied, Mm -hmm. you saw that. Nowadays, we're finding more to study on that than they did in the days when I first went to Bulgaria. I couldn't find anything on that, which is one of the reasons why I do this. Um, But it's really important to have pre-mediations with the people, particularly if they are from different cultures. And and then, then the question becomes, how do you, first of all, why, okay? The why of having a pre-mediation is because in different cultures, you will be, be viewed differently by them. In some cultures, particularly in our culture uh, in America, uh, typically, we are viewed as neutrals. And that word implies a lot, not only in our country but in Canada, in a lot of the European countries, your, uh, United, uh, the England, for example, in Australia, that, that that's an implication. But in other countries where they have a different history in their culture, you may be viewed as someone of great respect, and therefore your opinion is valued above their own. So you have to kind of understand that and do your homework on that. Go into a mediation, pre-mediation meeting with that kind armed, with that kind of information so that you can be, for example, more formal in your meeting with them or less or more informal to make that pretty party comfortable in even in the pre mediation situation. And then what you do is you 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 ask your questions honestly, quietly, indirectly if you need to. Um, you're listening to the other person and taking cues from them and your in your questions and your answers. But basically you want to get a sense from them do they look at you as if you're going to be giving the answers? Because if you get that sense from the other party, then it's going to be important for you to explain to them how it is going to be their decision as a party, not the mediator's decision. And you scope out a lot of these differences, critically important differences, and how they're going to impact the main mediation in that pre-meeting. It is imperative and critical to have such a meeting as a mediator in intercultural mediations.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely, I could see that. And you know, another thing I'm wondering about is just nowadays, especially over the past couple years with the prevalence of online mediations, are there cultural dynamics that would influence an online mediation, for example?
1: Um, I think, and I, 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 I I'll give some thought to that, Um, and my initial response to that is, based upon my experience, which is substantial, um, and I'll just make a footnote here, Um, a friend of mine who's a retired judge in Arizona in 2020, we spent hundreds of hours training mediators all over Canada, the United States, and the EU on how to use Zoom. And in that training, I got more um, information of the nuances between cultures, but they weren't as vast as some uh, greater differences among cultures. But you get some you get get that information. and And since that time, I have been doing a tremendous amount of online work, uh, which involves intercultural skills. Uh, and the answer to the question is, Actually, no, there's not that much difference online than there would be in person. Um, at, the only difference is one's comfort level digitally, so to speak. Um, uh, for example, uh, a person in an older generation may be more nervous about how to use the Zoom, and so you have to be aware of that. But That could transcend any culture. But yes, the cultural differences tend to be the same. Um, And what becomes equally more, well, what becomes incrementally, um, very much more important, exponentially more important is listening um, and watching. And what you want to do online is make sure you see the entire person um, because you're going to want to get body language as well. You're going to want to get the entire face so you can know when a person is what they're um, if they're shaking their head yes, you, and, and you may make sure that you're taking that as the right signal, based upon what I you know described before. But generally speaking, it's it's the same thing. Pre pre mediation meetings are as important there, even perhaps more important. Um, and the and listening skills are as extremely much as extremely important as it, they are in person. But other than that, there's not too much of a difference other than discomfort with the technology.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And the thought that I was having as you were sharing that is, you know, just the importance and, and this is what mediators, you know, mediators are trained to do is listening to understand, not listening to respond. And if you're listening to understand and you are and you've done your research, like you've said, and you've. You've been curious um, and made the point to ask the participants you know, about cultural dynamics and, and whatnot, then then you'll be able to understand as a mediator what is going on and you'll know how to respond, how to facilitate the communication and so on. So, yeah, that's interesting. Um, and so you know, kind of to switch gears a little bit. I mean, I know that, and you've mentioned it throughout our conversation so far. I know you've designed mediation programs all over the world. You've taught mediation courses all over the world. Can you talk a little bit about the roots of mediation uh, in in various cultures?
1: I could talk a lot about it. (laughs) It's one of my passions. And and, um, what I found is that uh, in when I did work with USAID as a mediation specialist in helping to develop those different mediation programs, it was extraordinarily important that you do understand the history. And I'll give you just a couple of examples. First of all, uh, the first time I went to Bulgaria, um, and I'll just share this for a moment, it's, it's not so much the, the history of mediation there, but it's the history of the culture. Um, The first meeting, I got there one day. The next day, I had my first meeting with the heads of all of the top-line NGOs in the country because mediation was extraordinarily important at that time in Bulgaria to gain admission to the EU. We all met. I said, good morning. Uh, I said, благодарia, thank you. And the meeting started, and there were about 12 people. And at any one given time during that meeting, there must have been at least three or four different conversations going on at the same time. And crisscrossing across the table, people pounding the table, arms were waving, voices were raised, voices were loud, voices were laughing. I was completely <laughs> confused by it. By the end of an hour meeting, Viviana, uh, who was handling it, said, okay, so we've accomplished this, this, and this, and everybody said, yep, that's correct. <laughs> I was kind of blown, blown away by that. Um, but but that that's a tradition in their country. Now, when you started, when I started mediation there, I had to realize that actually the Roman um, uh, culture was was important in the early days, and went back to early um, historical days before their pre-communist times in Bulgaria, and found a sixteen hundred town law in Plovdiv, Bulgaria, on mediation. So it, I found us a, a tiny root there, and. From Bulgaria, because it was imposed by the communists, they did not want to be ruled by the courts. So they, you could choose basically two types of mediations, either mediation court related or independent centered mediations that then work with the courts. Bulgaria, as well as Kosovo, for example, both selected independent mediation centers, not associated, not ruled by the court, but, on the other hand, when I got to Jordan, I understood that Jordan was came from an extraordinarily different tradition. These are they came from the Arab tribes who roamed the deserts for hundreds of years. And the ruling monarchy in Jordan is from the Heshemite tribe. And their traditions were very different not only were they very welcoming to strangers as you would be in harsh environments but they also had a tradition called wasata and wasata is where the tribal chief brings in both sides have them talk they talk they come up with ideas he listens and always it was a he at that time they listen And then at the end, they encouraged that settlement agreement, very much like um, past practices in Confucianism in China. But they did that. So the tribal chief was very important and prevalent. And when we set up the mediation system in Jordan, they wanted an in-court mediation system because they valued that central person who was the pivotal point of mediation. And in fact, when we set up the mediation program as the first one in the entire Arab world in Jordan, we had what was called a special mediator. And that person would then be given them a higher rank. So he could take the place of the traditional historical tribal chief if they wanted that kind of, um, that kind of uh, tradition or um, a way to handle it in their mediations. So you can see, two different kinds of structures that you set up based upon the history of the countries.
0: Yeah, and this is fascinating. And, and, and you've done some really fascinating work. I mean, you know, I, I'm just, I'm kind of trying to put all these different pieces together. And I guess the other thought I was having is, you know, as mediators, I think we all learn in our basic mediation training that what are you trying to help parties do? You're trying to help them satisfy their needs. But what is coming through more and more like crystal clear for me during our conversation is just the importance of you know effective intercultural communication skills and understanding one's culture so that you can even help them identify their needs to begin with and help them meet their needs so yeah this is this is fascinating stuff um that
1: that, that and respect
0: Yeah,
1: respect that you give to them because and that's why learning as much as you can in the pre-mediation is is to avoid doing something accidentally that is disrespectful.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so another thing I want to ask you about, (laughs) I know I mentioned during uh, the introduction how in 2011 you spoke to the United Nations about mediation as an effective global conflict resolution tool. Um, Can you tell me about that? Oh, sure.
1: Yeah. That was pretty exciting. We were a very young organization and only one of two uh, in the world invited (laughs) to speak there. Um, And the other one was a Swiss organization, a humanitarian NGO that had been around for a long period of time and very well known to to the United Nations. So there we were sitting there as a newbies. Um, And um, it was very important, I think, to give them the message that we did because this was the belief of mediation beyond board, mediators beyond borders and is still today. Understand that the United Nations was building mediation from a diplomatic perspective, which is inherently from the top down. So I felt it was important to stay, say, state that it's important to build the roots of mediations within the communities. So that if you have someone from the United Nations coming as a mediator there, they have someone they can connect with at the community level, who is respected at the community level. Because our belief is that mediation is a person building uh, technique. It's a voluntary and consensual technique of the parties. And building that respect comes from the ground up and it takes more time than maybe trying to impose it from the top down. And my message was build mediation from the bottom up, connect from the top down to that base
0: yeah that makes sense and that reminds me i mean that reminds me of you know the principle of self-determination right that Mm -hmm. i mean you know as mediators we don't we don't force anyone to reach any sort of agreement that's up to them so that that makes sense how how that was something that you shared
1: it was a very exciting time um because in 2007, um, uh, I had been over in Istanbul, working with Turkey um, as uh, building their mediation program, but not, I was informally doing that. And um, in 2007, both the Netherlands and Turkey proposed a mediation law that was accepted unanimously and every country in the United Nations was asked then to set up a mediation law. So it is universal now.
0: Wow, that's very cool. It is. Very cool. And I understand now that you are also uh, working on another exciting initiative. Um, I believe you mentioned it as an ambassador program with yeah. the International Mediation Institute. What what can you share about that?
1: Well, the ambassador program started with uh, our first venture on that into Ireland. And basically what it is, is we are training uh, people who have been either displaced or moved as immigrants or moved into another society, they tend to live in their own community. And what an ambassador is, a person who travels between their uh, their cultural community into the society general society's community, and that ambassador acts as a go-between. They are dispute they are a dispute resolver. They provide information. They prevent disputes. Um, they um, um, I- introduce different ideas about each culture to the other side. So that's the idea. And right now, we have millions of Ukrainians who are displaced. They're living in a number of different countries. Um, and the, 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 the first thing we want to do is, and, and this is, of course, I might say that we're, I am proposing this as a program for the International Mediation Institute out of the Hague, and I'm helping to design it for them. So that they can then have this international program which we would then as as it's planned now it's not been accepted by the board of uh, at the International Mediation Institute yet. So if I'm speaking out of place, then maybe we'll just start it on our own. But the point of it is that these people need this kind of communication, skilled communicator is your ambassador. And that's what we did in in Ireland, training people from, oh my goodness, 15 different countries to better uh, integrate culturally between their cultures and among their cultures, uh, from Nigeria, from Sudan, from Pakistan, from Egypt, from Syria, from Albania, and on it went a wonderful group of, of people And we train them on how to be ambassadors. And that's what we want to do, starting in Poland with this idea, in Warsaw primarily, I think, because Poland is the country which has accepted the greatest number of displaced Ukrainians, um, as well as, of course, a number of other countries. But if it works in Poland there, it can work in every single other country. Um, I am an original founding member of the International Mediation Institute in The Hague, and um, I hope that I can work with the new director there, she's a fantastic person from Serbia, and that we can work together to make this happen. Um, and we are in contact now with different um, NGOs in which, with whom or with which we would partner if we did this uh, program.
0: Yeah, well, that that sounds like a really great idea. I mean, an idea that would do a lot of good. And so I mean, gosh, Lynn, I, I, I wish you the best on, on trying to get that idea approved. I mean, like I said, that 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 sounds like a really great application of mediation skills. It sounds like it would do a lot of good. So yeah, best of best of skill and, and best of luck on getting that uh, working through that process to try to get that approved.
1: I hope it works. Uh, And um, this is my this is the thing I'm focusing on right now, because uh, what we're finding is that even though Poland and other companies warmly and open heartedly accepted them, what we're getting reports on now, particularly from other media in Ukraine, is that there's there's a lot of communication issues and, and some blame going on uh, between the community. So we want to get in there and stop that and prevent that and create a much better uh, uh, communications environment between the two cultures.
0: Oh yeah. And, you know, I always think like the more that, you know, we can all apply, implement mediation skills in any way we can, I always think the more good that we can do. Right.
1: You bet. And it's amazing how we can apply it even in our everyday life.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep, absolutely. Well, Lynn, this has been such a such a great episode. I feel like, I, you know, I've had these different shifts in awareness and I've learned so much. Um, if there are listeners who want to learn more about your work or connect, how can they do so?
1: Oh, thanks. Thank you for your compliment. By the way, Veronica, that's that's sincerely accepted from you. I appreciate that. Um, they can reach me at LHC at Bridges Academy. Bridges is B-R-D-G-E-S. We've taken the I out of Bridges to create a more intercultural you. So it's LHC at BridgesAcademy.com or go to our website at Bridges, B-R-D-G-E-S, again without the I, BridgesAcademy.com. And thank you so much for having me. It, it's very easy to talk with you and it's it, it makes me very happy to talk about things that, that give me great pleasure to work with
0: oh well great likewise and you know your your passion for this topic is contagious i can i can see how passionate you are so i certainly appreciate that as well and for the listeners we'll go ahead and put links to the websites that you mentioned in the show notes so that'll be easier for everyone to access thank you all right all right well friends that wraps up another great episode of the mediate.com podcast we'll talk to you next time
1: This podcast was brought to you by Mediate.com. For more information about Mediate.com's programs and content, please visit our website at www.mediate.com.